What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hyrick, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, stocks and bonds got off to a huge start in January, a sharp reversal of the trends we saw in 2022. What exactly has caused the change of heart? And will it last? We're going to get into it with a portfolio manager and strategist at a quant firm that had, let's just say, a very successful year in 2022, despite or more accurately because of all the market turbulence last year. But Vildana first. Yes. I've got to offer condolences oh, no. to your Buffalo Bills. Oh, my gosh. My heart hurts. <laughs> your heart hurts? Yes. You, you know, sports depression is a real thing. <laughs> so is, you know, cardiac arrest. You better get that checked out. I Honestly, they make me so depressed. And um, Actual chest pain? Yeah, like... You just get so like so sad and you're like, why didn't why did if if only they had done X, if only they had done Y. Yeah. Um, it's really sad. But um well, well, let me ask, do you ever bet on the games? Have you downloaded any of these apps now where you can bet? Yeah, on? I did like friends referred me. Oh, you did? For, yeah. Not this year, last year, like when it first became available in New York. I did and I won like two or three hundred dollars or something. Whoa. Yeah, of course. You did? I never bet on the bills though, because I feel like it's bad. That's, luck to that's do that. Bad karma. Yeah. yeah. I bet on like other random, yeah. I'm too chicken. I know if I download one, I'll win one bet and then I'll be like, that's it. I'm a betting genius. I'm going to do I'll, it forever. Then I'll lose it all. Yeah, no, no. I won money. Thank you very much. But uh, that's pretty good. I have good intuition, but they which suck. is what every gambler says. <laughs> exactly. Well, they lure you in with that free money, but I. this is all just a tease for my craziest thing oh, of yeah? the week, which is uh, a guy who bet Five dollars of that free money they give you, yeah, and you'll never guess what happened next. He won a million dollars. Don't, don't. Oh my no, gosh! Not okay, time. too but soon. But guess what? What? I'm an Eagles fan now. All right, hey, plenty fly. of room on that bandwagon. Fly Eagles, fly. <laughs> there you go. Don't embarrass us, Eagles, please. All right, please. I don't know about our guest. I think she's, if anything, she's a, a Pats fan, Pats which we fan. can't talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah never mind. They're losers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I do want to bring her in. It's Katie Kaminsky. She's the chief research strategist and portfolio manager at Alpha Simplex. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm more of a Celtics fan myself, a basketball person. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, do, uh, do, do quants like yourself bet on football? Or are there a lot of, lot of you know, fan duels going on at Alpha Simplex? We do tend to have some pooling sometimes about sports, but for me personally, I feel like the markets provide enough volatility and uncertainty uh, for for these days. For Fair me. enough. So enough I like risk. to watch. Make your heart race anyway. Yeah, enough exactly. Risk. I have too much heart racing going on. I need to like give up sports and everything. <laughs> Seriously. But anyway, Katie, you've been on the show before, but for anybody who, who might not know about your background, I was hoping you could just start out telling us about your background. Um, because it's very interesting and just, you know, your your role at Alpha Simplex. 
as a quant researcher, so I've spent most of my career studying systematic trading strategies. I got a PhD at MIT in operations research, and I was really fascinated with rules that investors use to make decisions. So it's quite natural that eventually my career ended up to becoming a systematic trend follower, where our job is really about designing systems to follow markets and find opportunities uh, using quantitative techniques. Um, this is exciting because we're using math, which I love, um, to find new trends and new, and new opportunities. And it's especially exciting after a year like uh, last year. I know the, the managed futures uh, fund did what, 32, 33%, something like that. And the, uh, the, what the alternatives fund it broke even, I think, which on a year like uh, last year, you got to count as a W, I guess. So last year was phenomenal. I mean, for someone like myself who's been in the managed future space for years, this space is a place where it's definitely a clumpy returns, but we do really well when there's massive trends, when there's dislocation, when things are uncomfortable. And last year was definitely uncomfortable, particularly fixed income. And I've been really fascinated by fixed income last year as well. But other things were exciting too. <laughs> okay, so t so tell us about this because you have a note that sort of reviews 2022, I believe. And you said it was a banner year for trend and specifically for the pig's fly trade. Oh, yes, that's great. I mean, so if you think about fixed income, most people think of it as a tried and true investment. They think if things go wrong, fixed income's there for me. So that classic 60-40. Last year was the first year where we had to think about the concept of rising rates, where we had to think about uh, present value of bonds actually being affected. And so you saw a very, very negative year for fixed income. And this was a tremendous short trend. But I just have to say that this hasn't worked for almost 40 years. And most of us haven't been trading in the markets for 40 years. So it's basically an artifice of history. So for us who trade systematically, seeing those trends and actually trading short in fixed income was sort of doing something that most people wouldn't dare to do. But we're quants. We follow where the opportunities are. And that was a very, very uh, profitable opportunity last year, being able to short bonds as central bankers raise rates to fight inflation. Uh, so then, Katie, you know, then the calendar turned to 2023. Everyone's staring at a fresh P&L for the year. We've seen, you know, very strong strength in equities, treasuries as well, yields coming down. But yet, I feel like there's the danger of sort of a fault, you know, uh, interpreting that with a false signal that, you know, the soft landing is a done deal, that inflation, that beast is tamed. But January is a weird month. You know, obviously, y you can see these reversals in trend uh, at the start of a year that that don't last. So how are you thinking about this month? And is it sending a signal about what we can expect for the rest of the year, or is this kind of a head fake that's just uh, perhaps a result of the the new P&L everyone has for 2023? So there's been so many positive things at the beginning of this year. People are not expecting things to be as positive as it's been. But if you really look at it, there's a couple key factors. First of all, many investors got beaten up last year. They took their money out of the markets. They're waiting for that signal that things are okay and I got to get in. 
So they're underinvested coming into the beginning of the year. Number two, we're seeing some moderation in inflation, which is a positive signal that we're going to eventually find a way to go on hold and potentially uh, stabilize some of the inflation situation that people are dealing with. And number three, we're seeing positive news in, in Europe and also in Asia, particularly China, which is suggesting that things can get back to normal at some point. So there's this optimism that kind of is flooded by several good factors. I think the thing to be aware of is that there are a lot of positive signals, but at the same time, inflation is still very, very, very far from the target, which means that central bankers who don't always think like the markets, who think a little more long-term, are still going to have to fight that fight. And that fight may not be over as quick as people think. And I think that's what we're seeing in terms of of why it's such a positive January. I feel like there's a split between uh, what strategists and others are expecting for the year, where a lot had been saying before 2023 started that we would see a choppy first half, then a better second half. Now we're seeing just about everything rallying, including crypto, et cetera, et cetera. So um, like, where do you fall in that camp of, of like the breakdown between when, which part of the year could possibly be the stronger part? So I agree with you. And what's happened is people have been a little nervous. Perhaps it was what happened last year and just kind of getting over that, expecting a choppy first half and a positive second half. I think we're probably more of the camp that you may see the opposite. So you're going to see a choppy, second half of the year when we actually realize that inflation doesn't fall as quickly as we like. So if we actually see inflation bottom and come back up, and we've seen some early indications recently that central bankers are holding, but inflation isn't moving low enough, that's where that could be a more challenging second half of the year. The reality that this takes a lot longer than we would like. You know, Katie, I know at uh, Alpha Simplex, one of the foundations of the firm is this idea of the adaptive market hypotheses, which, uh, you know, to dumb it down, the way I think of it is, you know, market rules aren't really written in stone. They're they're sort of written in pencil and you have to erase them every now and then and, and rewrite them. And I think the one thing uh, along those lines that a, a lot of people are wondering is the correlation between stocks and bonds. You know, typically we tend to think of them negatively correlated. If stocks uh, are rallying, you know, history would suggest that bonds are falling and yields are rising. Uh, Last year we saw bonds yields rise and stocks fall. I'm wondering what sort of conditions you think need to be in place to sort of have that revert back to to the historical trend of negative correlations between bond prices and stock prices. Is it as simple as just a, a normalization of inflation or is there more to it, do you think? Well, I think the simple answer is inflation. The reason is if you look farther back in history and a lot of investors don't think that way, looking back in a period where we had rising rates and we had higher inflation and changing inflation, you saw three key factors. First, you saw that bonds had higher volatility than typical in what we're used to. You also saw that stock bond correlation was positive, and you saw that there was a lot more uncertainty in general about that relationship. And so if you look at what's happened recently, it's very, very similar to what you see in terms of asset price dynamics recently. And what that says to me is that inflation changes asset price dynamics. 
you now are focusing on fixed incomes relationship to inflation as opposed to fixed income as a safe haven asset. And that is how that negative correlation becomes the dominant factor. In a world where fixed income is no longer a safe haven, you lose that negative correlation. And that's exactly what we saw last year. Can you talk to us more about what you guys are projecting in terms of what we'll be seeing from the inflation front? Because it sounds like you are saying it won't be falling as fast as a lot of people are expecting. And then at the same time, we have people coming out and saying the Fed really should rethink its 2% target. What do you make of all that? Well, the truth is, in general, markets like things to move quicker than, uh, especially uncomfortable things, to be over faster than they are. And I think what happened throughout this entire last two or three years has been very clear trends in asset prices that were consistent with a very serious inflation problem. And then by the time we actually got into dealing with this problem this year, it's also going to take quite some time for things to moderate. I mean, I think a simple example would be wage inflation. We really don't know how much wage inflation is going to impact until we've really seen year end and we've seen what happens after companies adjust what they're doing for this year. So I think those are very stale and slow moving uh, estimates. And I think people tend to underestimate how long it takes for these type of very opaque forces to calm down, um, which means that there's going to be a lot more trends with people underreacting to some and overreacting to other events. You know, Katie, if I look out for the rest of the year and try to, you know, think of what risks lie ahead, politics springs to mind and the issue with the debt ceiling. And I imagine that's a hard thing for a quant to sort of put numbers, attach numbers to. But how are you thinking about this potential conflict over the debt ceiling? You know, in uh, more than 10 years ago, the last time we had a crisis like this, we did get the U.S. credit rating downgraded and sort of have a counterintuitive reaction where treasuries actually rallied after that, uh, you know, for that safe haven, haven uh, bid. Are, are you thinking much about that risk this year? And, and if so, how, are you, how do you see it playing out? I mean, I have to be honest, we think more in terms of the pressure that's on the Fed and what they'll do. And I think in general, most investors out there looking at the fixed income markets are just wondering, you know, how far will the Fed go and will these factors actually impact their choices? Mm -hmm. um, and I think we, just like everyone else, will be dissecting every commentary and trying to really understand how those different issues may impact Fed policy, because right now, Fed policy has been at the center of many different asset class returns. I mean, let me give you a simple example, currencies as well. We've seen huge correlations between the US two-year and the US dollar. We're seeing a lot of cross-asset relationships that are very strong and all tied to the inflation rising rates narrative, which I feel like we're in the next phase of right now, what's next? What happens next now that we're seeing this inflation abate and we have these other issues? Do they come front and center next? So it almost sounds like, you know, maybe the risk is that the Fed reacts to the the, the political chaos by easing up on its uh, tightening campaign and, and quantitative tightening. Is that is that a real possibility, you think? And, and my guess would be that the market won't care so much about the politics if the Fed is easing. Precisely. And I think the challenge was, if you look last year as a data point, I think what was the most surprising was when, when the Fed decided to hike amidst what was going on in Ukraine. 
there was an example of them not reacting to markets behavior and people's nervousness. So I think people have gotten a little used to the fact that the Fed is going on its own path. If that were to change course and they were to react based on political or other reasons, I think that would create some new uncertainty in terms of this narrative of fighting inflation. Yeah. So it's really a matter of hanging on every speech, I guess, and every beige book and every every minutes, everything. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Can you talk to us more about what else you're expecting for the rest of the year? I think in one of your recent notes, you said energy prices have been subdued. I'm wondering how you're thinking about that and also how it relates to the stock market. Um, But then also tell us, maybe you can talk about some of the components that go into your models and what exactly you guys are tracking and just how the secret sauce, (laughs) if I can say so, um, works behind um, your predictions. So first, I'll start with commodities. I mean, commodities were a major hot topic earlier last year. They have really been very mixed and back and forth since then. But we've seen more moves recently in industrial metals. And we've also seen, in some sense, a pause in energy markets because of some rather favorable weather conditions. So I think that has the potential to change over the next two to three months. So we should watch that. That could That could also be a potential uh, tailwind for decreasing inflation is if we start to see those assets increasing in value, that's something that will fight against this reducing inflation narrative. So that's very important. And that's why it's something to watch in the next uh, few weeks to months um, and how those raw materials really do impact uh, the, the entire supply process. But when it comes to our models, I think that's a fantastic question. I love that question. Tell us all the secrets. <laughs> the secret sauce. <laughs> so the exciting part about being a systematic trader is that your job is to build a system that makes decisions based on data and is data-driven. So as data and information come in, you're adjusting your positions and your view on the markets as a function of what the market is doing. So more fundamental strategies focus on trying to understand what the market should do. And what we do 
is try and understand what the market is actually doing. Because if you think about it, the market itself is made up of very, very intelligent and wide groups of people across the world. So really, oftentimes in a very distressful environment, aggregating the information there and following those prevailing trends can provide opportunities. And that's why a year like last year provided a lot of great opportunities because it was very hard to understand how will the world react to a rising inflation, rising rate environment. And the dollar is just such always a perennial, such an important component of of everything going on in markets. You know, part of this risk off action we saw last year was obviously at, probably at least in part because of that strengthening dollar, or, or at least they, you know, uh, both occurred hand in hand. What are you expecting for the dollar this year? And it's part of this rally we've seen in equities because it's sort of come off the highs that we saw last year. So that's a good question because the dollar has been most highly correlated also with the two-year. And so what that means is that the U.S. being stronger in terms of their monetary policy has actually led in terms of relative strength of the dollar for several reasons. One is risk-off behavior tends to be very favorable for the dollar. You also saw um, the U.S. being tightening faster, which was also favorable for the dollar. Um, And you saw the U.S. looking economically somewhat ahead last year. That all sort of started to unravel in the last couple of months. And we've really steadily seen that trade unravel all the way the other direction. So it was a very strong trade that's unraveled since roughly September. Now, we actually think that there's a possibility that you might see some resurgence of that narrative because you really did see a very, very strong coordinated move in the other direction for some substantial period of time, which means that if the U.S. ends up being strong again in relative terms, or if tightening happens in the U.S. at a faster pace, or they hold steady for longer, you might see some resurgence of that strong dollar at the bottom here, because it's really moved quite a long way. And what about tech stocks? Because I've heard conflicting views on what actually is behind the tech rally that we've seen at the start of the year, where I've even had some people say tech stocks used to act as defensive plays almost during the pandemic. And maybe we can even start to think of them uh, that way as well this year, just because people are expecting slower growth or even a recession in 2023. So what are some of the factors behind the tech rally? So I think one of the key factors, especially for the first part of this year in terms of the rally of tech has been the relative underperformance as well. So it's definitely been a buying opportunity for a lot of investors that were sort of frightened by what happened last year. So you have buying at the bottom, you definitely have buying power, but there's also the issue that we have to think about with tech stops is interest rate sensitivity. They have been much more sensitive to rising rates. And the fact that rising rates might eventually be on hold is actually a positive signal for tech companies based on on sort of recent price movements. So I think you've got some technical factors that are sort of putting tech companies already in the plus. Will those sustain? It's going to depend on what happens with earnings season. It's going to depend on how we navigate the rising rates environment, if we continue or not, and also sort of how how those companies come out of this new sort of regime this year. Katie, you mentioned at the beginning uh, sort of how important it is to be able to embrace uncomfortable situations. So I'm going to give you a very uncomfortable hypothetical here. All right. You ready? If I said, Katie, you get to make one trade for the rest of the year. It's either long U.S. equities or short U.S. equities. 
and you can unwind the trade on the first day of 2024. Which way are you going and why? Short. Yeah. I think it's going to hurt for the first part of the year being short, but I think that if we have a bottoming in inflation, that people will be realizing the actual impacts of inflation. Um, and I also think that will show up in earnings and that we have to have some sort of correction. I don't like it. It's not comfortable. I'm not sure I'd want to hold it, uh, but I definitely have some some short views this year. And by bottoming in inflation, you mean bottoming somewhere significantly above that 2% target, I assume? Yes. Yeah. And we've seen some discussion of that. I mean, you just need a couple of tailwinds. You need maybe commodity prices to start surging again. You need a couple of things to kind of go against that narrative. Because like I said, it could take longer to dissipate some of the inflation pressure or some of the sort of many factors where inflation is moving. Is there any lesson from trend following in markets when it comes to trying to predict the trend in inflation? Is there, you know, is it, it, I feel like inflation is a lot trickier perhaps, or, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But is is there, you know, a lesson to be applied from, from market trend following in trying to gauge the trend for inflation? So the one thing I would say is inflation is uncomfortable. Everyone hates it. It's it's painful. It's it's difficult in multiple aspects. It provides opportunity, but I think for trend following, why it's such an interesting environment finally for us is that when you have inflation, by definition, things are moving, things are inflating, and then if it dissipates, you have you might even have deflation. And so I think for us, it's a sign that sort of things are in flux. And so I think looking at asset price movements, there's a lot more opportunities for dynamic strategies and active management in a world where inflation is higher. So I think that's something that investors have to think about because for the last 10 to 15 years, 60-40 was all you needed to do. That's no longer the case. And that is definitely a frightening proposition for many investors. What, in your view, do you think the Fed does if we do have the downturn in inflation topping out at 4 or 5%, let's say? Well, the challenge for the Fed then is, do they say, hey, we can't get to our goal? Or do they say, well, let's just change the goal? <laughs> and right. so either of those are not very positive. I think the more positive one, which everybody would like, is to go back to 2% and have things sort of be stable. But I think the challenge is, the likelihood is we're going to end up at 4 or so. And then the question is, the Fed either has to say, well, we're no longer going to try or we're going to have to keep trying and people are not going to like that either. So I think that that's the that's the challenge, I think, that was facing us in the next few months. Yeah. And of course, the the other side of the Fed's mandate comes into play, the, the job market. You know, does does that bottoming of inflation, will that go hand in hand with a rise in unemployment, you think? And then then we're really getting into this sort of un, uncomfortable uh, territory. No, I agree. I mean, especially if we're thinking stagflation or or some of those uh, big long words, <laughs> right? And and I guess you can find cycles of that in history to look at, but they're so different from today, especially with technology and other things, that it's really hard to know. And I think that means that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty about where things are going, especially if we could go into one of those type of scenarios. Katie, can I just, if we can go back to the macro discussion we were having Another sort of point of contention I hear from just talking to people on a daily basis is 
we always hear good news is bad news because the Fed's goals aren't working. Now I'm hearing bad news actually is just bad news. <laughs> so is bad news bad news? Is good news bad news? Like where what what do you make of it of this discussion? Yeah, you're exactly right. Last year everything that was good was bad and everything that bad was good. This year from the beginning of the year we're starting to see good is good for now. And so we'll have to see how that evolves. I mean, I think for us it's very counterintuitive because if you imagine trying to predict what to do from a fundamental perspective, if you have good news, usually you think that's a positive signal. But for us as trend followers, we don't really care. I hate to say that. What we care about is where are we going? And if bad news being good news creates a big trend, that's an opportunity. And maybe that's actually a great environment for us because nobody can figure out what is really going on. Um, and there's a lot of things that are up in the air. What about bad news is bad news where we are getting economic data to the point where people are super worried about what's happening with the economy? So if it's bad news is bad news, as long as we see sort of a sustained negative trend, that would also be an interesting environment for us. So I think for us, it's more about how extreme things are and how much things move. And so in environments where there's a lot of good news or bad news either way, but things are actually happening across assets, that's a, a good environment for trend following. A very calm, sort of smooth flow of information, both good and bad, is not really the, the environment where trend following uh, performs as well. I miss those times. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, pre-2020, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Well, you know, Katie, we tend to be fixated on the U.S. markets here, um, and for good reason. You know, the largest, most liquid markets, uh, often correlated with the rest of the world. But I'm, I'm wondering, as you look out to 2023, are there opportunities elsewhere in the world that look like more attractive to you, either on the long or the short side? compared to the U.S., you know, as, and, and especially because we have seen 
some really strong performance from the rest of the world equities this year, even though, you know, the U.S. market's doing great, but, you know, some markets are even doing better. Is there, you know, do you dive into some of the foreign markets? You know, are there any sort of uh, trends you're seeing there that, that we should know about? Yeah, the two biggest trends we've seen that are more cross-sectional have been a relative play on EM, Asia, uh, versus U.S. And you've seen massive movements in Asia in relative sense more recently. But hey, again, this comes to the fact that they had a much larger retraction than we did last year. So let's see if it continues. We've also seen in the currency markets a definite tilt towards long EM currencies versus the dollar. So those have strengthened even more relative to the U.S. dollar as well. So those are both some good indicators as well that sort of there's good potential in EM. There's also potential um, in Asia versus U.S. Uh, how long that will last is going to depend, but it definitely is an interesting trade at the beginning of this year. Is, is that all, you know, all related to the China reopening story, I guess, do you think? I think it's both. I think some of it's a sort of an underinvestment and sort of a undervaluation, relative valuation story, but it's also a question of reopening potential for economic activity and sort of recovery um, that we have already seen in the U.S. that you're now starting to see. I mean, I think it will take a while, but it is a positive. There's some positive signs that, that's moving in that direction. Well, Katie Kaminsky, Chief Research Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Alpha Simplex. It is always such a pleasure to pick your brain. We we really appreciate it. But we, as you know, we cannot let you go just yet. We've got our little tradition Some here. exciting games to play. There are more games <laughs> to play. <laughs> well, Donna, why don't you get us started? What's the craziest thing you saw this week? Okay, I'm going with something that is very dear isn't the right word, but something I've been covering for months now, and I've devoted my life to it basically and then finally we saw it happen last week which was the genesis bankruptcy right genesis right. the lending arm of it's within the dcg empire the digital currency group empire and crypto so mine is crypto related we saw that finally after months of anticipation where a lot of people had been expecting it to come through we finally saw it come in last week and what did bitcoin do i think it rose didn't it yes yes I mean, I, if people were really anticipating this for such a long time, so that helps explain part of it. But we've seen this huge rally in Bitcoin and crypto to start the year. Just it's huge. So Markets bottom on bad news, I guess, the old cliche. Maybe. I don't yeah, know. I don't. I Who knows what happens? But yeah, okay. so far at least. Katie, how do you think of crypto? Is it just sort of a, a higher beta version of the riskiest parts of the equity market? A lot, a lot of people seem to think that's the case. So what was interesting is crypto used to be something they thought is a sort of a safe haven asset or something that's uncorrelated to equities. But the last two, three years, I think most of the people that I know in crypto see that it's very much a risk asset, just basically highly levered in some yeah, sense. So yeah. it's, you know, so high flying risk assets. And so I think we tend to, as quant managers, it's all about measuring vol. And the vol of Bitcoin and these assets are significantly higher than what you see in traditional assets. So I think for us, it's definitely not something that we're ventured in yet, but, you know, we're, we're evaluating it. Yeah. Well, it's higher vol. And is it also uh, sort of a more hard to predict volatility? Well, it's higher vol. 
more hard to predict. I, I'm not sure yet because uh, I haven't <laughs> tried to predict it. Yeah, right, right. But it definitely, in terms of volatility, is much much higher than things like oil or even some of the more nat gas makes nat gas look pretty calm. <laughs> so so that that to me is you know nat gas is one of the big movers. So so I think that that kind of puts Bitcoin in perspective. Right. Right. All right, Katie, how about you? Have you seen anything crazy in the last week? I think, you know, one of the things that surprised me in the last couple of days is seeing a peak in Australian inflation. And the reason I say this is that Australia has a phenomenal equity market return, right? And to see that initial sign that they're having a little bit of an uptick again in inflation, I think is something that investors need to pay attention to. And that goes back to the narrative that we were talking about earlier in this program is that, you know, I think that we can find some surprises um, going forward, not just going to be a straight walk down. What is causing that Australian inflation pickup? Can you, can you tell? It says mostly electricity prices and other costs. And so I think that's sort of the headline view. But I would say that that's where my question about looking at commodities is important. So if we start to see commodity prices or other prices increasing, that will sort of give some fuel to the narrative that inflation doesn't go away that quickly. Right. And there's so many variables that could cause energy to, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin could wake up some morning and, uh, you know, have some news uh, along those lines. Who knows? Uh, definitely something to keep an eye out for. All right. My turn. Yes. As I said, I'm treating the gambling markets just like any other markets. That's now. fine. That's fine. I'm, You'll allow that? I'll allow it. Okay. So this guy, this is a story courtesy of USA Today. This guy, uh, Cameron Craig, um, he got placed a $5 bet, but again, he got one of those bonuses. I, I have to read the full story. So but it was I think a it's fi- free, $5. free free bet for okay. this guy. And the, the reason I think I'm going to eventually get lured into sports betting on one of these apps is the sheer insanity of the bets you can place. So he placed a bet on who the first person to score a touchdown would be, not just of one game, but of all four games this Last past weekend. weekend. Okay. So you had to identify the player in each game who would be the first to score a touchdown. Okay. And he, he nailed it. How, how does it work if somebody doesn't score one at all? What if it's like a string of field? Well, then you lose your your five bucks. I see. Okay. I think, yeah. Well, it's still someone's bound to score that first touchdown, You right? Even if there's a field goal first, person who scores the first touchdown of the game, that's who you got to name. Okay. Right? Okay. So he nailed it. Five bucks he placed on four games, got it right on all four. What do you suppose the winnings were, Valdana? Are we playing prices precise? We, yes, we are. Katie, you are now a contestant. On the price, on is, the price precise. is precise. How much do you think this guy won? I'll explain it again. Okay. Four games. He named the player... That scored the touchdown, the first touchdown in each of the four games. Okay. $5 free bet. What do you think he won? $1.3 million. <laughs> you came up with that pretty quick. <laughs> I saw you. You're like doing some math over there. Would you carry the one? And $1.3 million? Yeah. I guess 100000 No way. It's way more. Way more? Oh. I, I got to give it to Katie on this what? one. What? How much was it? Seventy-two thousand seven hundred ninety-five. Nothing. I thought that was pretty good for <laughs> five is? for a free dollar five bet. You're like, I wouldn't touch it for less than a million three. One point three, yeah. One point three. 
All right. Wow. I mean, okay, that's especially for the five dollars being a f- giveaway. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. He said it was life changing money, and people were arguing with him, saying, "How's seventy three thousand dollars life changing money?" He's like, "Look, I paid off all my bills. I paid off my loans, my credit cards. My life's changed." Don't say the word bills, please. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> entirely unintentional. Did not mean to, to twist that. To hurt in my there. heart. Oh, it hurts. You got to see a cardiologist. I would have thought. I would have thought way more. I'm sorry. I just hear of these like crazy. It's your fault. You you always bring me <laughs> these crazy too, stories. I it up yeah. Much, yeah. I don't know. I thought seventy three grand for five bucks. How often can you find me a stock, Katie, that I can place five bucks on and get us to seventy three? Maybe a meme stock. Yeah. yeah. Or crypto. <laughs> crypto. There you go. Try that. There's high vol there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna go buy. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I like the Sam coins. Any coin linked to Sam back in They're Creed surging. Is, they're surging. Of course they are. Of course. Of course. Anyway, Katie Kaminsky, uh, again, can't thank you enough. I hope we can have you uh, back again sometime later in the year and, and see how it's all going. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Katie. What Goes Up? We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong. Thanks for listening. See you next time. you do if your data was working for you and not against you with bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems you get easy access to the details you want optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of visit bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more